So we're going to wrap up our two-part series on joy, and we're looking at uh, how it is that God has fashioned us to experience joy. We're going to be looking at a John chapter 15 today, but as we jump into this, I sort of want to talk a little bit about, um, and since it's kind of the middle of the series, right, we just did it last week and then we're finishing up this week, I thought it would be a, really a good thing to, to stop and pause and just say this for a moment, and that is that there are, there are many of us in this room who have gone through some pretty dark times. And, and there, are, there are many of, in, uh, of us in this room who have experienced de- depressing times and, and then times that are joyful. But I want to speak for a moment to a segment of people who probably experience depression on a level that is what seems, seems unmanageable. And, and here's what I want to say to you, because when we, when we talk about joy and we talk about this series, it can feel like if, if you've had major depression, if you've experienced uh, depressing moods at deep levels, it can feel as if you're kind of left out of this conversation. It can feel as if maybe in some ways you're less of a Christian because joy is connected to our faith. And so what can happen in that is, is you can begin to feel inferior. And I want to speak to this for a moment because as one who has gone through pretty ba- serious bouts of depression in my life, uh, connected to ministerial burnout over a year and a half ago, I know where you're coming from. I know the darkness and the sense of, of um, a loss of complete hope. I, I know what it's like to feel a, a sense of complete silence from your Heavenly Father. I know what it's like to feel like you just want to will yourself out of it and toward joy again, and you can't. I know what it's like to feel like you just will never get through it. And I know that going through that period of my life was incredibly humbling, but it was also very eye-opening. And it was eye-opening because I think it helped me to really identify with and to understand where many of you are coming from. And there was a conversation with a psychologist for a period of time, six months to, to uh, 12 months, somewhere in there, where there was a discussion of medication, and that's how severe it was for me. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to go that route, but that as I recovered through the burnout, that, that things began to even out emotionally for me, and I began to find balance again. But for those of you who do find yourselves using medication, it's okay. It doesn't make you inferior in any way. And because you struggle with depression on a level that perhaps the rest of us may, not, may never understand, that's okay too. That doesn't make you less of a Christian. And so I just want to say that from the outset because I think in series like this it can come across as insensitive. That there are people who really wrestle with this at a a deep level. And there's a physical component to it that is completely disconnected from your spirituality. And that physical component ought to find some resolution, that's for sure. There's maybe even emotional component to it that as you seek therapy you get help. As I think mine had both emotional and physical components to them. I think you ought to do that and you ought to find health. I think you ought to explore those areas that are contributing to that level of depression. I just want to stop there. I just want to say that we love you, that God loves you, and that it is no sign of his lack of love for you. And even though you may feel that God is silent at times and that nobody understands and you want to just shut everything out, that your Heavenly Father loves you, he understands you, he made you, he created you, and he's very passionate about you. And the rest of us love you as well. And we accept you. And as we talk about joy, don't feel ostracized, feel included. Feel included because I think in the midst of being connected to your Savior, as we're about to discuss out of John 15, you can find joy even in the lowest moments of your life. 
Because I think even as I wrestled with the darkest times of my life, I not only felt a complete disconnect from God, but even in those moments as I worked through it and I moved through it with the help of a lot of people, I also felt the most intimate times with God in those moments. And so there's hope. There's hope for you and there's hope for me, and I just want you to know that. So in jumping off, we sort of asked this question in this series, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? What is it that contributes to your happiness? Is it certain relationships? Is it achievement? Is it your work life? Is it uh, having recreation in your life now that you're in retirement? Is it maintaining peace and making sure that there is peace within your life that makes you happy? What is it that makes you happy? And as we kind of jump into today's talk, we need to understand that really you can't fulfill you. You can't fulfill yourself. I think today, as American people, we think that if we just pursue something, if we set our minds and our hearts to it, if we put a goal before us, if we just accumulate or acquire this thing or this relationship or that potential promotion or achievement or whatever it is, I think that sometimes we believe if we just have it, that we'll be fulfilled. I think the truth of Scripture really speaks deeply to this because it says that really ultimately, if we were to sum it up, that you can't fulfill you. you. You cannot be the fulfillment of yourself. That every pursuit you have, everything that you do, won't necessarily lead to your own personal fulfillment. But that there's a connectedness that comes. As Jesus teaches us in John chapter 15, let's take a look at that. He says, and defines it very quickly, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, here's who you are, and here's who I am. That wrapped up in joy is actually identity. It's understanding who you are, and who Jesus is. And a lot of times the problem is, is that we think we're the vine. We think we are the source of our happiness. That if, if we can plug into the right thing, the right idea, the right movement, the right relationship, the right achievement, the right circumstance, that if we can plug into that, then suddenly we'll experience Joy, But Jesus starts at a very much identity level. He says, here's who you are, and here's who I am. I'm the vine. I'm the source of everything for you. I am the place at which you come to find your rest. You come to find your hope. You come to find your peace. And ultimately, as we're to discover, you come to find joy. And so he starts at a, an identity level. He says that I'm the vine. You're the branches. Meaning that you come off of me. You are connected to me. That without me, there is no source of nourishment. No source of life. And he's about to say, apart from me, there's no life. And so he starts at an identity level. And we're to be reminded in this text that you and I are merely branches in a larger garden. That we are branches in the midst of a larger growth a larger organism. We're not independent. We weren't created to float out there by ourselves. We weren't created to pursue our own desires. We were created to be connected. And not just connected to anything or anyone, but connected to a someone who says, I'm the vine. That's who I am. Be connected to me. And here's what he says in the next verse. He teaches his disciples, if you remain in me then, so if you stay connected to the vine and remember that you're a branch, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now that's an interesting con concept, isn't it? Because when we think organically, when we think of plants, 
we think of branches being connected to vines, and when they're connected to vines, they produce a grape, right? They produce a fruit. There's some evidence of being connected to this thing. But yet he doesn't define what that fruit is. He'll, he'll do that a little later here in this text, but for now he just wants you to know that once connected to him, something will come that you couldn't produce on your own. You could not do apart from the vine. Now it's a mystery for us right now. He hasn't defined what that is, but he says that something will be produced should we stay connected. But then he says, on the flip side of things, not only if you stay connected will there be fruit, but he says, apart from me, you'll do nothing. Apart from me, nothing's going to happen. And, and, and logically, we understand this, don't we? That when we remove a branch from its tree, when we remove a, a branch from its vine, fruit won't be produced at all. That that's no way to actually produce a farm. I think we get that conceptually. So he says, apart from me, so if we stay disconnected, then nothing will happen. Okay? Continuing, here's what, here's what else he says about this. He says that basically God challenges our attachments. God is looking all the time to see what it is that we are attached to, and he wants us to disconnect from it and connect to him. What are some of the attachments perhaps that you have that God desires to challenge? What are you attached to? What is your source of joy? Are you attached to achievement like my temptation is to be all the time? That when I look at my life and I see accomplishment and achievement, that is my downfall. That's where I connect and I get fruit from it. That's where I seem to put my life and is, and is my source of life. But what's yours? I've confessed to you. What's yours now? What is it you connect to? Is it fun and experience? Is it pleasure? Is it travel? Is it a certain relationship? Is it your work life and how much money you make? Is it how nice your home looks to outsiders? Is it what other people say about you? Is that your source of joy? Is it what other people think about you? And so it affects how you dress and what you drive and how you wear and how you present yourself. What is your source of joy? What are you connected to that gives you life, you think? That gives you pleasure? It is that thing that God desires to challenge in your life and in my life. Because he says, I am the vine. He says, there are all kinds of vines, but I am the vine. And the problem is, is you and I are like little branches running around, attaching ourselves to things, looking for life. And it does, it gives a little bit of life, maybe even a little bit of fruit, but it leaves us longing for more. I know as I look at my life and I see accomplishment and achievement as being a source of, of joy for me, I end up having to move from accomplishment to accomplishment. I'm never satisfied. I have to achieve this thing, and once I get there, then I'm ready to move on to the next thing because it brought me a sense of accomplishment, it brought me a sense of fulfillment and joy. And the next thing I know is I'm hungry again, but the problem is I'm hungrier than the time I was when I received it. And I don't know where you are, but my guess is, is you're in the same boat, that whatever you attach yourself to, to bring you joy, and, it is not, and if it is not the vine, if it's not Jesus himself, it leaves you hungrier for more. It leaves you thirsty for more. And so we look to the next thing, we look to the next fix, and we attach ourselves to it, and it doesn't bring the joy anymore. So that's a question for you and for me. What is it that you're attached to that God wants to challenge today? Because he wants to challenge our attachments so that we detach from the things that we are seeing as our source of life and attach to him because he says again, I am the vine. I am the place 
that you connect. Now look at what he says. He continues in this teaching. He says this, If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. You're like a branch that once disconnected, doesn't immediately change its physical makeup. Have you ever noticed that? That when you pull a weed and you drop it on the ground or you cut a branch off because you're pruning a tree, it sort of lays there for the next hour, two hours, three hours, and it looks about the same as when you lopped it off. And so the problem is, the insidious problem for us is that we can become disconnected and not actually know it for a period of time. We can actually still think we're connected when in reality we aren't. That's why this is, so, this, is, this is so deceptive, because once we become disconnected, we could lie on the ground for a good period of time, and it doesn't show up until later. And so he says that if you don't remain in me, if you don't remain connected, you're much like that branch that just ends up on the ground. And it may look like it has life for a period of time, but time will tell. Over time, it will erode. Over time, we will find out that there's a disconnect. And I think as I look at my life and I think that I'm connected, I look at parts of my life that are withering and I start to think, oh my goodness, I've been disconnected longer than I thought. And I need to reconnect in that area. I think for me in my life, as God continues to work in me and heal me, achievement is always going to be that thing that I look toward. And sometimes I think I'm running in that direction and then I notice something's dying in my life. I have to remember, oh yeah, I must have disconnected back down the road. So don't think because things are coming off the rails now that it was recently that a disconnect happened. It may have been a period ago and you have to explore what it is that God is detaching you from. That God is challenging you when it comes to your attachment. Because once it's disconnected, it withers. But that happens over a period of time. Happens over a process of dying. Doesn't just immediately lose its life, but it begins to lose its life over time. And see, I think that that's the truth for us today, is we think that we can just become disconnected from Jesus and we'll know it. I think the problem is, is that we can become disconnected from Jesus and not actually know it until a period of time has gone by. And then we look at it and, oh goodness, somehow I slowly eroded in that area of my life. I just challenge you to think about that. What is God challenging you as far as your attachment? The next verse, he says this, such branches are then picked up and they're thrown in the fire and burned. Now, some fiery preachers like to connect this to hell, all right? I don't think that's where he's going at all. I think he's making an observation that when something gets disconnected, when a a branch becomes disconnected from the vine, it finds itself not only withering, but useless. And so it becomes disposed of. And so what he's saying is your worth, your entire worth is connected to being connected to him. I don't think he's saying that, you know, if you get lopped off, you're somehow going to hell. I don't think that's where he's going with this. And I don't think we ought to go that direction. It's not what he's saying. So don't mistake this interpretation, okay? Just understand that when you do become disconnected, when withering starts to happen in your life, may that be a wake-up call to reconnect. May that be a wake-up call to reconnect to the source of life for you. All right, continuing, he says this then. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask. And so I think for us, as God challenges our attachments, we begin to pray and ask God to fill us up and actually heal those areas of our life. I think my prayer has consistently been, as I become aware of this in my life, my prayer has had to consistently be, God, keep me connected to you and not to what I do. Keep me connected to you 
and not what I do. I say that prayer consistently over and over, and I still will fail at it at times. And sometimes, again, it's that period of time that goes by that I realize, oh my goodness, my joy is missing because I've attached it to accomplishment again. And I'm pushing toward the next thing. What would your prayer be? What, what small prayer would you recite to God as it relates to your attachments, to the places in which you pursue joy that only end up in withering and death? And then continuing, he says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And see, the thing is, for me, an achievement is it actually bears me much fruit. I, I don't know that it bears God much fruit. It bears me much fruit. And when I realize that I'm bearing me much fruit and I'm not bringing glory to my Heavenly Father by bearing much fruit, that somehow I've become disconnected. So it is, it is for the glorification of our Heavenly Father that Jesus invites us to remain connected. Because God is glorified, but also there's something that gets produced and He's keeping it a mystery. We're going to find out what that fruit is. He's about to talk about it. But he says, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That somehow, the fruitfulness that we produce is as evidence of our connectedness to our Heavenly Father. To Jesus as the vine. So what joy is then, if we go with this for a moment in our theme, and trust me, Jesus will get us there. If we talk about joy then, it can't seem to be something that we chase after. It must be, as Jesus talks about this, a fruit. Joy is a fruit. It's something that is a result of something else. A fruit is something that is a result of being connected in the right way to the right thing. It is creating the conditions for life to be at its optimum so that fruit is produced. So joy for Jesus is a fruit. It's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we look for or we pursue or we chase after. For Jesus, joy is a fruit that comes as a result of being connected. So now you can see why I started off talking about depression. Because the point is, is that when we are depressed, we can start to think that that is a result of being disconnected. And I can tell you that I have felt completely connected to God and yet felt completely depressed. So let's not equate the two, okay? And for those of you that are wrestling with that, I think you know what I mean. And for the rest of us who don't wrestle with that, we need to ease up a little bit on those who have experienced depression and quit saying it's because they're not connected or they haven't experienced joy. And if they just got more intimate with Jesus, their depression would go away. I got really intimate with Jesus and my depression didn't. Okay? So we need to be gracious with one another as it relates to this. But it is a fruit. It's a fruit of being connected. Look at what Galatians 5 tells us about fruitfulness. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, as the Spirit lives and resides in us, and we remain connected to Jesus, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy. For Paul, joy is a fruit. So joy isn't an accomplishment. It's not a thing to be pursued. It's not a thing to be chased down or run down. It doesn't come through an experience. It doesn't come to us through achievement. It doesn't come to us through a sense of peace or any circumstance that we could create for ourselves. Uh, joy, as Jesus describes it, as Paul reiterates, is actually a fruit. Something that becomes produced. Okay, So continuing here, joy is not pursued then, it's produced. And I think for many of us, we kind of see happiness and joy as something that we really ought to pursue. If I build the right house, if I have the right things, if I have the right relationship, if I have the right accomplishments, if I look the right way, if people talk about me in the right way, if I'm experienced in the right way, if I can travel to the right destination, if I can do this or do that, 
joy will come to me. As if it's to be pursued. And for Jesus and for Paul, joy isn't, it's not pursued at all. You can pursue it and never find it. Joy is actually a production of an intimate relationship for Jesus. He's saying it, it, it is the result of being connected. It's not the result of chasing something. It's the result of being connected to someone. And he continues to teach us here, and he says this in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, he says, remain in my love. Remain in that place where joy is found. Continuing, teaches us, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So now he defines what it looks like to remain connected. It looks like love. To be a branch connected to the vine means love. And what that looks like then is actually keeping the things that he has instructed us to live in. So somehow, joy is produced by honoring and following God's desire for our lives. And it seems totally counterintuitive. It seems totally counterintuitive, but it's true that when we remain within those commandments, when we remain within his love, Joy is found, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now, what are the commands that Jesus gives? So you're, you're sitting there, you're going, okay, I think I'm following. I'm to remain connected. That connectedness looks like love. And it's a result of actually following the commands Jesus has. I wonder what they are. Don't you want to know? Inquiring minds want to know, don't they? Well, Jesus tells us, fortunately, continue on. He says, I have told you this. Okay, so I've told you this, He says, so that whose joy? His joy, not my joy, not my pursuit of joy or my idea of joy, not my friend's idea of joy, my coworker's idea of joy, not my parents' idea of joy. His joy, which may be different than our joy, which may actually be better than our joy, so that His joy may be in you, not found not pursued, not grabbed a hold of, not integrated into your life, not experienced, but actually living in you. That the joy of Jesus may be in you, and that your joy then, now we're going to talk about your joy. First we're talking about Jesus' joy. He says, my joy, may my joy be in you. And then now let's talk about your joy. So that your joy might be mature. This is what he's saying. So your joy might actually be complete. So which means that if we were to talk about your joy and we were to talk about my idea of joy, that means they're incomplete. It means there's something missing, doesn't it? There's something wrong with it. It's somehow tainted and bent and misshapen by sin. And so our idea of joy is, is completely incomplete without his joy being integrated with it. And so he says... I tell you all of this, and now he has defined what the fruit is. I tell you all this so that my joy might be in you. And once in you, it'll make you whole. It'll make you whole. So we finally have our answer as to what the fruit is that he says will be produced if we remain in him. But what are the commands so that we can get there? Here's what he says, going, continuing forward. He says, my command is this. Thank you, Jesus. Now I know what I can follow. 
My command is this, love each other as I have. Because you see, as your joy is incomplete and it's tainted and it's twisted and it's misshapen, so is your idea of love and my idea of love. And so he says, I want my joy to be in you to make that thing that you have, your joy, complete. I also want you to love other people, not the way you think they ought to be loved, not according to the world's idea of how people ought to love one another, but I want you to love each other as what? I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? Incredibly. Graciously. Flamboyantly. He has loved us incredibly. And so, if you want joy in your life, Jesus says, you actually have to give your life away to somebody else. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. Generously. Completely. He loved us so much it actually cost him everything. And somehow within that, and I know it sounds counterintuitive again, joy is found. Joy is found. How is it that the very disciples on that fi- those final days of Jesus' life were fleeing in fear, and the very next moment as the Holy Spirit comes on them and they remain connected, we find that they are joyfully, as Stephen does in the book of Acts, They are joyfully proclaiming God as they are dying. Because somehow Jesus' sense of joy and love became complete within them. Something changed. But see, you and I are so gravitated toward fear. We are so overcome with fear in our lives. We remain in fear, which is the antithesis to joy. And that fear overtakes our lives. because, Because we think that if the thing would just go away, we wouldn't be fearful and we'd have joy again. But here are the disciples in the midst of the most fearful thing that could happen, and yet they have joy. In fact, there's an account where uh, Paul and his companions are sitting in a jail cell and they're singing hymns. And then suddenly there's an earthquake and the, the prison breaks open and the guard's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And he becomes converted. And they're singing songs in this jail. How does that happen? How do you find joy in the midst of that kind of circumstance? Well, Paul had discovered that he could love other people the way Jesus had loved them. And it actually cost something to do that. It's not a free deal. Continuing, it says this. Am I out of slides? No, I thought there was one more slide. No. In conclusion... (laughs) Now you just turned it off. Okay, I guess I'm done. All right. I swear there's one more slide. All right. We'll end there. Let me pray.